Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. <clears throat> You're going to have to uh, bear with me a little bit. Um, my sinuses don't like moldy leaves, so there's a gang war happening in my head. So if I uh, clear my throat a little too much or lose my voice or pass out, <clears throat> just remain calm. So thank you for your patience. Uh, it's really great to, uh, to be with you. I wanted to, um, before we dig into this conversation <clears throat> today, I wanted to uh, also let you know that in two weeks, we're going to start uh, the Christmas series. And I'm excited about it. You realize Christmas is coming up, right? Have you been thinking and praying about what you're going to get me for Christmas? I like a new car. A used one's fine, but either way. But um, Christmas is coming, and we're going to do a series called The Creation of Christmas. I'm really excited about it. And it, uh, I'm letting you know this because it's a great opportunity for you, if you have friends or neighbors or family or whoever that has a, a unique interest in spiritual things because it's the holidays, which is a lot of us, right? Um, it's a great opportunity for you to bring them. And we're going to walk through uh, the story and the, really the reason, the purpose of Christmas from beginning to end and it's going to be great, and then it's, uh, it'll culminate in our, our Christmas programs. But it's a great opportunity for someone uh, to kind of break the ice and a great tool that you can use to do that. So be thinking about who you would invite or bring or be a part of it and uh, encourage you to do that, okay? So the creation of Christmas, it'll start here in a couple weeks, and uh, we look forward to that. Uh, this weekend, <clears throat> we're going to continue in our uh, reset series, and uh, in this series, and we've been talking about our relationship with God and our view of God and what it means to love God, what it means to be loved by God. And it's been a fascinating uh, conversation. And as you, uh, if you haven't been able to be here, that's cool. If you want to catch up, uh, you can go out to our website, graceohio.org, and you can watch those conversations there. Um, you can get a free podcast through iTunes and you can kind of fill in those blanks. And then if you, if you really want to dig into it, we wrote a book, uh, and you can get the book out in the, uh, the bookstore after service, and it'll, it'll lay out things in deep detail for you. I want to continue this series, but I want to shift gears a little bit, okay? So we've been talking about really our relationship with God and what that looks like <clears throat> and how that works, and I want to shift to um, how that plays out then, like what do I do with what God has taught me? and uh, how God is transforming my life. And we're going to talk about this the next two weekends. I'm excited about this um, for a couple reasons. If you're, uh, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, the way that this is going to work for you is it's actually going to be pretty cool. It's going to let you kind of see where you're headed before you buy, so to say. So if you say, um, I don't really know what it means to be a Christian. You guys talk about, you throw all these wor- weird words out, like growth and relationship and spiritual maturity. What are you even talking about? So what this series, this, this couple conversations will do is define that for you. So you can see kind of ahead of time where God would want you to go before you committed to being a, a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, what these next couple weekends are going to do for you is it's going to define our path forward. So a lot of us, when we think about following Jesus, uh, what we mean is, I'm not going to go to hell anymore. So I receive my salvation, and I'm a Christian now, I'm not going to go to hell anymore. And Jesus would say, that's awesome, and that's a beginning of something. It's the beginning of a pathway I want you to go down. 
And so we're going to define that pathway and give you the ability to kind of self-realize where you're at on it and understand kind of fully what it means to, uh, to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So it's going to be helpful. It's meant to be that way. But the first part of our conversation, we're really trying to mess with your heads and press hard into stuff. Uh, what we want to go back and do now is start to put skin on it and say, well, this is the way it plays out. And we want to do that here for the next couple of weeks, okay? So this weekend, we're going to dive into it. You're going to need your Bibles. So we're going, to, we're going to really move through the Bible a bunch today. So get your Bibles, warm your thumbs up. Now we're going to be looking through that. And uh, we're going to do this, okay? So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? This is just a little bit of a review of what we've been talking about. This is the idea of discipleship. Following Jesus is not simply taking on the, the label of Christian it's not just going to church. It's not throwing money in the plate, right? It's more than that. It's relationally based. So what's it mean to follow Jesus? And we said that's the idea of discipleship, the word that Jesus uses in the Bible. I've called you to be my disciples. It's the idea that we follow him, that we're of unity of heart and mind with God, that we're a, a student, a learner, a kind of a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus defines that for us several places in the Bible. So uh, open your Bibles up to John chapter 8. We can start there, John chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 746 in those Bibles. So John chapter 8, page 746. If you're electronic, we use the version app. You can download that and open it if you want. And let me just show you some ways that Jesus defines what a disciple is and what a disciple isn't. So John chapter 8, verse 31, for instance, Jesus defines what a disciple is. He says, uh, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says, you hold to my teaching. What teaching? Well, there's like a, a spectrum of teaching, right? So it begins with, I'm God and nobody else is. So I'm holding to the teaching that Jesus is God and the soul path to heaven, as opposed to uh, spirituality, as opposed to I follow Buddha or Muhammad or whoever, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then that teaching has depth to it, right? So I'm loving like he loved, forgiving like he forgave, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a disciple is one who locks into that, holds to it, actually integrates and kind of marinades that stuff and soaks it into our lives. Uh, he uses another description. If you flip to the right, to John chapter 13. <clears throat> John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35. It's another description of a disciple. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So one of the, one of the big characteristics of a disciple of Jesus it's not just truth, it's not head knowledge, and it's not life behavior, right? So it's not just that I quit smoking, drinking, and chewing, and date girls who do a cheer for Michigan, right? But it's a love. I love Christ. I receive love from Christ. I love my enemy as myself. I love other people in the family of God, what the Bible call my brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? And so Jesus would say that his disciples are not to be known for what they stand against. They're actually to be known for what they stand for. And we're to be known for standing for love, that we love Christ and we love other people. Do that passionately, deeply. John chapter 15, uh, just uh, maybe across the page there, John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. Jesus again says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So a disciple bears fruit. They can't stop themselves from bearing fruit. Okay, now, that's a, I know that's a weird Bible word. What's it mean? So Galatians defines this. So it says the fruit of the Spirit or the byproduct of following God are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So a Christian is to be known for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? We're to be known for that. We're not to be known for grumpy, as grumpy prudes. We're not to be known for simply our political stances. We're not to be known for what we're against. We're to be known for our love, and we're to be known for these characteristics coming out of our life, and that's the bearing of fruit. Jesus says, my disciples are known that way. In Luke uh, chapter 14 and uh, verse 27, Jesus inverts it. says, this is what uh, my disciple is not. So he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So anyone who is not fully devoted to me, anyone who is not kind of willing to deal with the ramifications of being identified with me, you cannot be my disciple. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll write another book about it. But it, it's, you can look through, and, and Jesus says, these are my disciples. These are not my disciples. These are people who follow me. They're yoked with me. That's a word that comes out of Matthew. And what that means is there's a unison of heart, and there's a unison of mind. I think like Jesus. I love like Jesus. I'm motivated like Jesus. I want what Jesus wants. I love who Jesus loves, Right? That becomes my operating system. I bear fruit. I'm known for that love. And if whatever price tag is attached to it, I'm willing to pay it. I identify myself clearly and unapologetically with the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's what it means in part to be a disciple. And when the Bible talks about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that's what the Bible is teaching us, what Jesus is saying. These are all his words. It's what Jesus is saying that we're called to. Now... There's another element of it, right? So there, there is the personal development, my interaction with God, my response to God, my connection with God. There, there's that personal element of it. And then there's another element of discipleship. And this is what I want to start teaching us this weekend. And it's this idea that the, the way that the term disciple is used is twofold. One is that I am a follower of Jesus. The second is this. A disciple is also one who, follows, is one who follows Jesus and also one who takes another along on the journey with them. So as a disciple of Jesus, I follow Jesus and then I help other people follow Jesus. And that is the complete picture of what it means to be a disciple of God, okay? I follow Jesus and then I help other people follow Jesus. Where does that come from? Well, that comes directly from Jesus. So go over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is this part of the Bible that sometimes we call it the Great Commission. This is a bedrock of Christianity. Like Christians practice Matthew chapter 28 as one of the very core things that we do because this is Jesus' words. He is talking to his disciples And this is the last thing he says to his disciples. So these are people who already are loving him. 
They love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're known for their love. They're bearing their cross. They're holding to his teachings, right? People who are already his followers. And he says to his followers, now what I want you to do is I want you to go and help make other followers. So as a follower of God, I'm following, and then I'm helping someone else follow. Look at verse 19, chapter 28, Matthew Therefore, this is Jesus again. These are his words. Therefore, go and make disciples. You, you now do it. You go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So you have connected with me. You're holding to my teachings. You're downloading what I said. You're in unison of heart and mind with me. You're going to heaven because you've accepted my salvation. Now you go and you do for another what I did for you. You go and you make disciples and you bring another along as you follow me. This is what the Apostle Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, when he, he, was, he was enacting this and he said to the people around him, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm following Christ. I've had this direct interaction with Christ. Now I'm going to teach you how to follow Christ. So follow me, learn what I'm teaching you about Jesus, watch my life, how it's living out. You follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was a disciple and he was making disciples. And this is what we call the disciple making process. So discipleship is following Jesus and we would say that disciple making is inviting other people to follow Jesus, and followers of Jesus do both those things. We follow him, and we get another, and we help them to follow him. In fact, the Bible is this clear and this strong on it. I'll say it this way. I cannot fully follow Jesus if I'm not bringing someone on the journey with me. I I can't, because I'm ignoring specifically what Jesus said to do in Matthew chapter 28. So if I say, my faith is for me, and we say this at Grace a lot, your faith is personal, it is not private. That is not the way the Christian faith is set up. So if I say, my, my faith is for me, I love Jesus, I'm following Jesus, and I look and say, well, I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and Jesus would say, well, what about the part of loving your neighbor as yourself? Well, I don't do that part. Well, then you're not loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, you will wind up loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't stop yourself. So if I think of myself as one pursuing Christ, and I'm bringing no one with me, I should rethink my pursuit of Christ, because it's not happening. It's not happening in the fullness of what it was intended to happen, because Jesus oriented it that way, okay? You are my followers, now you go and help other people become my followers, you go and you make disciples. And this is all through the Bible. I, I just wrote in your notes. I gave you a ton of notes this week. You're welcome, right? Uh, because I wanted you to have them. Guys, if you lead a life group, if you are a parent, if you um, are the captain of a football team, if you're sitting in class, any, any place where you have the opportunity to help someone else become a disciple, I literally wanted to try to get all this information in your hands so you have it in front of you so you can digest it more and more, okay? So let me just show you some of what the Bible says about being a disciple maker 
What do we know about disciple making? Well, we know several things from the Bible. It's kind of crystal clear. So first thing there, we know that Jesus commissions his disciples to make disciples, to do it, right? We just looked at that, Matthew chapter 28. It, it's, a, it's not this fuzzy area of the Christian faith. It's like a, a straight up, like, you guys go do this kind of thing. Secondly, we know that disciple making is an indication of spiritual maturity. This is fascinating. If you go over to your Bibles, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, let me read this to you. Hebrews chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, right, if you know, if you, you may not know who the Apostle Paul was, the Apostle Paul was a guy that killed Christians for a living. That was his job, right? So you're a plumber, you're a carpenter, you're an electrician. What do you do, Paul? I kill Christians. Oh, I got one. Can you come kill it? Right, right? So that's what he did for a living. Paul personally interacted with Jesus on this road to Damascus. God stopped and talked to him. And he went from being the leading killer of Christians, he hit his quota and exceeded it and got bonuses every year for killing Christians, to being a follower of Christ. Okay? Total transformation. Fascinating to read his writings. So when he writes, he, he is a guy that came from both sides of the conversation, right? So now he is a fully devoted, he actually wound up dying because he wouldn't deny who Jesus was. So he's writing to these people in Hebrews and he says this. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you're no longer trying to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It's fascinating. Paul looks and he says, guys, here's the mark of maturity. The mark of maturity is that you are teaching another. It's not that you're not going to go to hell anymore, because he's writing specifically to people who aren't going to hell anymore. He's talking to Christ followers. It's not that your head is full of the Bible. I know the Bible inside now. Congratulations. The demons do too, the Bible says. So you're a demon, <laughs> right? So I know the Bible. It's not that you've, sit in, you've sat in church the longest. It's got nothing to do with spiritual maturity at all. The spiritually mature are defined by being disciple makers. They teach by constant use. They have become mature. They're helping other people to come through. So if you're not making disciples, if you're not bringing someone along the journey with you, then you're not spiritually mature. It doesn't matter what other, other spiritual activities you may or may not be a part of. We also know that disciple making is hard work. It requires lots of energy. The Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, I labor at this. I need the power of God to do it. Um, disciple making is not uh, throwing truth at people and expecting it to stick. It's living life, going through the grind of life with people. It's very hard work. We know that the goal of disciple making is not to make disciples of ourselves, but of Jesus, okay? So asking someone to come to church with you is not disciple-making. It's a, it's a good thing. It's not a negative thing. Just don't confuse it, okay? Saying uh, we love our pastor when he's not sick, he's phenomenal, right? And he's great. You don't draw people to me, 
Okay? Coming to church and hearing me is a very pleasant experience. It's incredibly pleasing to the eye, is it not? Yeah, I know, ladies. So I got it, right? But you're not drawing people to me. I don't need disciples. You're not drawing people to fill in whoever your Christian celebrity is. We're drawing people to Christ. If I try to draw you to me, you ought to fire me, okay? So even as a pastor, I want to draw you to Jesus, okay? So disciple-making is that. It's not, hey, like what I like and like who I like and hang on this guy's every word. If I'm not getting you to Jesus, if you're not helping someone else go to Jesus, that's not disciple-making. So we know that it's all about Christ. We know that disciple-making is to have a cascading exponential effect, okay? So Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He says, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who are also qualified to teach. So Paul, in that passage, is interacting with his disciple, Timothy. And in essence, what he's saying is this. He's saying, Timothy, listen, bud, um, I heard this from Jesus directly. I taught it to you. You teach it to reliable men and then have them teach it to other people. It's disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, okay? How did the gospel of Jesus wind up in Akron, Ohio? Okay, how did it move from Nazareth? Nazareth is this little backwoods town in the Middle East. It's like the Doylestown of the Middle East, right? I live near Doylestown, so I represent, right? So how did it move from Doylestown to across the oceans, across the world, across time. How'd that happen? The internet? There was no internet. You know, everybody 25 and under is shocked that there was a world without internet, right? TV? <laughs> Goodness, no. Right? Radio? Book? No. How did it happen? This exponential cascading effect. Somebody would learn, follow, and then they would teach. And that person would grow to maturity and they would learn and they would follow and then they would teach and they would learn and they would follow and they would teach. And, and literally from the Doylestown in the Middle East, across the globe, we know the name and the person of Jesus because one person told another person who told another person who told another person. And even with the shift in technology, that process has not changed. You can say things on the internet, you can broadcast things on television, you can use it. Those things are fine. They may help introduce someone to the salvation of Christ, but until you dig into somebody else's life, they cannot flesh out what it means to actually know, love, and follow Christ. It has to happen this way even now. So it has a cascading exponential effect. We know that Jesus modeled discipleship, right? You got the 12, dropped down to 11. Judas had issues, right? But Jesus poured himself into that. He didn't write books. Jesus didn't leave writings behind us. His disciples wrote his writings, right? He didn't have a radio program. He wasn't on television. He just entrusted these things to men who continued that process. And then we know that the Apostle Paul made disciples. So the Apostle Paul, we know of a little bit more than 30 men and women that Paul worked with directly to teach them to follow Jesus as he learned to follow Jesus, okay? So it's one of these inarguable things that you can't read the Bible, especially the New Testament, and get away from this discipleship-making process, disciple-making process, 
And if I am a follower of Jesus, this is a part of what it means to follow him, okay? So as a Christ follower, two things are happening in my life simultaneously. I am pursuing the heart of Christ, and I am helping someone else pursue the heart of Christ. Those things happen simultaneously in my life. Ready? I've been saying it this way. I go, we go. I go, we go. I go, we go. I can't go by myself, and you can't go for me. But I go, and we go. I pursue the heart of God, and then I grab somebody, and you come with me, right? And I'll teach you and show you how to pursue the heart of God as well. Let me put some skin on this. There is a, there's a pathway of spiritual maturity. I just want to explain this to us so that we can get this. And this is where, if you're not a Christian yet, you can see where God wants you to go, kind of what it means a little bit. And if you are a Christian, you can see like where, where God wants you to move to completely. And so what is this idea of spiritual maturity? How does it work? And how do you self-identify? So I put this up here on the screen, all right? Um, all of us start off dead in our sins, what the Bible says. So if I'm before the cross, before I believe that Jesus is God, he died on the cross, he rose again three days, before I've asked him for the forgiveness of my sin, the Bible says that I am spiritually dead in my sin, okay? Then Jesus says this. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life right? I am, I am also the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So my spiritual life begins by the forgiveness of my sin and receiving the salvation of Jesus and Jesus alone, right? So I cannot grow spiritually if I haven't been born again. Those are Jesus's words. That's not a political affiliation. Those are Jesus's words. He looked at the guy named Nicodemus and he said, hey, you gotta be born again. You're spiritually dead. You have to be resurrected or born into spiritual life, okay? So that's the thing that kicks off my relationship with God. If I don't have that, then, I, then everything else I'm about to show you doesn't matter to you. But we have to start there. I did, you did, we all did, because we're all sinners, right? We know that, right? We agree? Who's ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Keep them up. You might as well just keep them up. Who's ever cheated? Who's ever had a lustful thought? Oh, come on. <laughs> right? Okay, so you, th- there, you just broke three of the, three of the Ten Commandments. And we're sinners, and we're born that way. Okay? So we're spiritually dead. We have to be made alive. Now, once we're born again, we start a spiritual maturing process, and this is what it looks like. I'm going to use Bible words. So the Bible says that I am a spiritual infant, which I am born again. That's the word the Bible uses. And as a spiritual infant, I recognize Jesus as my Savior, and I respond to him with receptivity. Okay? So as a spiritual baby, all I know is that I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell, and Jesus calls me to love him. I don't know what that means. I don't know how all that plays out. But that's where my spiritual life starts. I'm before the cross. I agree that Jesus is God, that he died for my sins. He was dead, he buried, he rose again, and he offers me forgiveness. I receive it. And that's where I'm at. I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm a spiritual infant. Now, catch this. Many people stop their spiritual growth right there. Right there. You gonna go to hell? Nope. How come? Well, I believe in Jesus. And now I go to church. 
Well, do you, you know anything about him? I know I'm not going to hell. Do you love him? I know I'm not going to hell. Are you, are you growing more deep and deep in your relationship with God? I'm not going to hell. Fire insurance. And many people do that. It's very common, by the way. If that's you, it's, it, that's very, very, very normal, right? I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist. Somebody told me I was a sinner. I agreed with them, and now I'm not going to hell. And that is the beginning of the spiritual maturity process. It is not the end of it. So us not going to hell is not what God calls us to fully. It's what he rescues us from. But we need to grow spiritually. So the next term that the Bible uses is fascinating. It uses the term child. Child. The Bible says you're an infant, and the Bible uses these terms that you're a child, okay? Or you're childish in your thinking. And someone who's a spiritual child does this. They view Jesus as a teacher and themselves as a student. I'm learning, okay? So some of you have accepted Christ in the, in the last year or two. By the way, if you've accepted Jesus in the last couple of years here at Grace, you are in the norm. Most of us have done that, Right? It's just been a few years since we accepted Jesus. So you're very, very normal. Well, I can look and say, well, I'm not going to hell anymore. That's awesome. God loves me. Didn't know that. That's awesome. Now what? Well, let's start to know the heart and the mind of God in in the Bible. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. So let's start to learn Jesus and learn what Jesus says or what he teaches and what he commands. Okay. Um, Hey, Jeff, I was reading the Bible and I got to this book of Ephesians and am I not supposed to be living with my girlfriend? Right. Really? Yeah. I thought you were supposed to take a test drive before you buy. I mean, what? Seriously? Yeah, right. So am I, this whole like no hint of sexual immorality, that means don't have sex before you're married? Right. I didn't know that. Now you do. Jeff, am I not, am I not supposed to be dropping the F-bomb all the time? No. No way. No blanking way. I didn't know that. <laughs> See? I did not know that. Well, where'd you learn that? Well, I was reading a few, it, it says that no profanity should come out of my mouth. Are you serious? Yeah. Huh. Am I supposed to go to church all the time? Yeah. Like all the time? Well, I mean, you can miss once in a while, but the Bible specifically says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So yeah. Well, I didn't know that. See, that, that's being a student. Listen, if you've come to Christ in the last couple years or so, and you say, I don't know the Bible, listen to me, that's not a big deal. That is not a big deal. You just don't know yet. It's where you're at in your spiritual maturity. Now, if you come to Christ and you've known Christ for 10 years and you don't know the Bible, come on. This is what Paul was rebuking the people in Hebrews about. He's like, you're still in it. You ought to be teachers. You don't even know what the Bible says yet. Come on. You're drinking milk. You should be eating steak. This is ridiculous, right? So this expectation of spiritual growth. But if you are new in your faith and you don't know the Bible yet, that's not a big deal. When I went to the first grade, I didn't know what three plus three was. When I, when I went to the second grade, I had to learn what five times five was. When I went to the seventh grade, I started to learn algebra. Never quite did, right? Okay, it's no big deal to be on a learning curve. And that's where you're at in your spiritual growth. I'm, God is my teacher, and I'm a student, and I kind of need to know what he says. All right, here's the next thing. The infant, child, and then we made up this word. We say young adult. There's like this in-between stage. Young adult, 
And as a spiritual young adult, I view Jesus as my Lord and myself as his servant. Jesus is my Lord and myself as his servant. I remember in my life when I was a senior in college, I had just accepted Christ. I accepted Christ when I was a junior in college, received Christ as my savior, had actually grown up in the church and Christian school, so I actually knew the Bible inside and out. So the, the learning curve was very quick for me. I just learned how to like connect the dots, right? The Lord thing was a big deal. And all of a sudden, I'm interacting with God, and I'm like, wait a minute, you just didn't just bail me out of hell, and you're not just telling me what the best way to live is. Like, I should probably worship you. Like, there's, there's things that you say in the Bible that I don't agree with. I probably should stop agreeing with myself and start agreeing with you. You're, you're the Lord. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. And if you're the creators of the heavens and the earth and you're my creator, that means you have ownership in my life. And really what I am is I'm your servant. I, I should give myself to that, right? That was like an epiphany for me. I'm like, wee, yikes. If you're God and I'm not, I should probably start interacting with you as God. And it's, a, it's kind of the young adult phase of spiritual growth. Like, man, there's more to this than do's and don'ts and more to this than don't go to hell. There is a Lord, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I worship him, I respond to him, and I yield to him, and I submit to him because of who he is, okay? Now, most people stop there. Jesus is Lord. God said it, I believe it, that's good enough for me. Well, it's not. What, you hairy tick? I can't believe you just said that. No, it's not. Jesus is more than your Lord. Did you know that? Absolutely more than your Lord. And if I stop in my spiritual growth and just interact with Jesus as Lord, I will construct for myself a false view of God. I will respond to him with legalism and religiosity because I'll be convinced he's Lord and the Lord opens up the ground and kills people and hits them with lightning, all that kind of stuff. And that's who he is, he's Lord. And Jesus himself said to his disciples, in essence, don't stop there. And this is the place where spiritual maturity actually caps out. As a spiritually mature person, as a spiritual adult, Jesus is my friend. And I view myself as his coworker. And this is what the Bible says in John 15. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, you are no longer my servants. You are my friends. I'm responding to God not just because I'm afraid of him or because the Bible said or I don't want to go to hell. My relationship with him has matured and now I'm responding to God because I love him and I understand his love for me. He's my friend. We have this relationship with each other. He's not coercing me or forcing me to follow me under the threat of I'm going to do something to you. My heart has matured to the point where I want to do that. I want to interact with him. And I will respond to him appropriately. I will never forget that he's Lord and never cease to be a student and never lose gratitude for my salvation. But all that matures into one relationship where I'm a friend of God. And this is where the Apostle Paul says when that happens, I begin to view myself as a coworker with Christ. I have a unity of heart and mind. I want what he wants. I love what he loves. I'm motivated the way he's motivated. And Jesus, it's not you doing it or me doing it. It's us doing this. And I want to do this with you. 
And Jesus would say, that's fantastic. I love that maturity. Jesus, what do you want me to do? I know what I want you to do. Tell me, Lord, lay it out in black and white. I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. It's the idea of spiritual parenthood. Now I go back and I would lead someone to Christ. They're born, they're reborn. They're now a spiritual infant. And I, as someone who am spiritually mature, am nurturing them through the idea, right? And you guys know in your relationship with your mom and dad, I never fully understood my father until I had my own kids. I never downloaded the full love and, and servanthood and compassion and grace that my father displayed in my life until I was a father who needed and wanted to do that for my own children. And then my dad made all kinds of sense to me and I quit being afraid of my dad and I quit just doing what I was told and I wasn't a little baby anymore. And me and my old man became friends. And he would help me and I would interact with him and we understood each other. Why? Because I matured. This is where God calls us to. He looks at us as his followers and said, this is what I want. I want you to love what I love. And what do I love? I love people, right? I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, there's a natural byproduct of that. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love Jesus and you love people, so you view people with the same heart and the mind that Jesus views people, what you will want for them more than anything else is for them to love Jesus. Love Jesus, love people, help people love Jesus. Love Jesus, love people, help people love Jesus. It's the disciple-making process. It's disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Spiritual maturity is not Bible knowledge. Spiritual maturity is not religious participation. Spiritual maturity is going back and leading others through the pathway that God has led you through. And it is the call, it is the very definition of what it means to be a disciple of God. Two things happening simultaneously. I go, we go, I go, we go, I go, we go. Now, If I am not engaged in that process, something is wrong in my relationship with God. And there's a few options. One is, I don't have a relationship with God. I've gone to church my whole life. That's not a relationship with God. I'm not a Muslim. That's not a relationship with God. I'm very spiritual. Well, that's not a relationship with God. Those things are, are, are good and fine. It's just not what it means. Until I recognize my sin and recognize Christ as the sole means of salvation, I do not have a relationship with God. And when I recognize those two things and I ask for the forgiveness of my sin and I receive the love of Christ and I say to Christ in response to his love for me, I wanna love you too, I want to give my life to loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I have not begun a relationship with Christ. And so if I am not engaged in the discipleship-making process, it very well could be because I, don't ha- I have not engaged in that process myself. That's cool. Whenever you're ready, jump on.
right? Jesus says, today is the day of salvation. So when you recognize that and feel kind of in your heart God drawing you or tugging at your heart, that's the time to respond to him. Your heart to his, no magic words, no secret prayer, your heart to his. Jesus, I love you, forgive me, I'll follow you. I don't even know what that means. That's not a big deal because you're just an infant. Of course you don't know what it means, right? You don't have to figure it all out to jump in, right? Once I do that, then I begin the spiritual maturing process. So if I'm not engaged, it's, it's either because I don't have a relationship myself. Here's the second reason. The second reason is because I'm immature. I'm immature. And that's not a big deal. Some of us are here today and you're like, Jeff, geez, man, I just, I just, I just quit sleeping with my girlfriend and now I'm supposed to make this Bible. I didn't know that. I didn't know this was, and I'm saying, yeah, it's no big deal. This is the first time I've ever heard this. That's no big deal. Now you know. Well, I don't know how to do it. That's also not a big deal. We'll help you. We'll teach you. This is where we're going to start. We're going to teach you this next week, right? So we'll teach you. So if you're not engaged in the process because you didn't know to be engaged in the process, or maybe you knew, but you don't know how, not a big deal. Right? Just keep maturing. I didn't know how to do algebra in the second grade. I just had to learn how to do it. It's no big deal. Okay? And so you, your response is, well, I'll just engage the learning curve. I, I want to do this. Just, now I know. Now I'm going to learn how. So if you're not engaged because you have no relationship with God or you're immature or, or you don't want to be. And this is a very serious thing. Because if I don't want to be a part of the disciple-making process, what that tells me is that my relationship with God is broken. Someone who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength loves what he loves. He's my friend. I want to be what he's about. And when there is no want to in my heart, there's something drastically wrong in my relationship with God. There's sin, sin that needs to be identified and rooted and repented of. There can be a stubbornness, right? I know what the Bible says, man, I'm just not doing that one. I am not doing that one. Or the giving thing, don't ask me about that either. Or the be nice to your wife, right? I'm not doing it. And I would look at that and, guys, probably over the course of your life, when someone has helped you identify that and you look and say, I'm just not doing that, they might have looked at you and said, you foul pagan, you wicked, you better get your act together, you're going to fry in hell. That's not my attitude. I want you to know that. This is my attitude. That scares me to death. Scares me to death. Because I love you, and when you look at God and say, I'm just not doing it, I don't want to, something is deeply wrong and misdefined in your relationship with God. It's not about getting your act together. Because disciples, ready? True disciples bear fruit. True disciples hold to the teachings of Jesus. True disciples 
love. And if I think that I love God and I have no love for people, 1 John says very clearly that I actually don't love God. So if I look at my relationship with God and if it's not defined by loving God, loving people, wanting people to love God, it's the first move that's broken down, not this one and this one. It's a very scary place to be. And something has gone awry, something's misdefined, something is deeply wrong within our hearts if there is no desire or will to make disciples. As a Christian, when my greatest passion is to know and love Jesus, I can't stop myself from looking at another person with the passion for them to know and love Jesus. It is the natural byproduct of following Christ. All right. The band's going to come out. And then I'm going to settle in. I'm going to ask you some questions. I also want to say this. Next weekend, I'm going to try to put more skin on this. So we have some tools. We got some ways to help you with this. So I don't want to tell you what to do without telling you how to do it. But we're out of time, and so I'm going to tell you that next weekend, right? So it's, it's there, and I want to leave you hanging. This weekend, this is what I would face you with or challenge you with what you pray about, okay? Three things. There it is, ready? I encourage you to self-identify where you're at on that little chart. Are you before the cross? Are you an infant? Are you a child? Are you a young adult? Are you, are you mature? And we try to give you the indicators of where that... So self-identify, okay? Then the second one connects to it. Then ask yourself the question, where am I going? If I'm before the cross, I need to go through the cross. If I'm an infant, I need to move to childhood. Child, young adult. Young adult to maturity. Maturity back to connect with people before the cross, okay? So where am I at in that process? So where am I and where am I going? Right? I encourage you to do that, everyone in the room. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, the last question isn't for you, so don't worry about it. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, let me ask you this. If I ask you the question, who are you taking with you? Who are you taking with you? Ready? Guys, if you can't put a name to that, something's wrong. If you can't put a name to that, something's wrong. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You might be a, a, a mom and you might say, I'm, I'm trying to lead my children. Bingo. Dad, I'm, I'm trying to lead my family. Bingo. Bingo. I'm praying for my friend in math class, and I'm trying to, got it. If you've got a name, we're on the right track. If you can't put a name to it, something's wrong. If I can't look and say, I'm not just friends, I'm not just related, I'm not just connected, but this is a person 
that I am intentionally seeking to help them know, love, and follow Jesus. If there's no name, then there's no disciple making. If there's no disciple making, then our discipleship is incomplete. So pray, right? Pray. Say, God, bring a name to me. Help me to know. Show me. And you'll be shocked. I I bet you by Wednesday, that person's in your life. Because this is what God wants. That's a prayer God hears. It's one he's always going to honor. But this needs to be a part of us following Christ. Would you think about it? Would you pray about it? Would you be open to allowing God to help you reset your view of discipleship?